All right, if you got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 8. Um, you know, you heard Joe last week say, I think he says it almost every week, you know, don't trust a preacher. Feels good to be a preacher. So um, don't trust a preacher. Listen, uh, take God's word. That's why you have it uh, and use it to make sure that what we're saying is 100% uh, correct. And so let me ask you a question. How many of you have been in this conversation where you're telling a story to someone, right? You're relating a story to somebody and about 37 seconds into you telling the story, they look at you and say, you know what? Same thing happened to me. And just like that, you know, they've turned the story, your story into their story. Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Why do we marry those people? Right? Like, <laughs> just kidding. I'm kidding. Right. Just trying to drum up some business for counselors. Right. But don't you love that, right? You're, you're trying to tell a story. You're trying to, you know, it's great to have people relate to you, but it's amazing how many people want to make, make that moment a chance for them to make it their moment, right? And it's not, listen, it's not the greatest characteristic in the world, but here's what I'm going to ask you today. I'm going to ask you to do that today. I'm going to ask you to do everything you can to make Noah's story your story. I want you to take every bit of this story and every chance you get to selfishly turn this in to your story. And I believe with all of my heart, Scripture makes it clear that it's okay to do that because in lots of ways, Noah's story is supposed to be our story in that process. So last week you heard Joe tell what was arguably one of the worst jokes in the history of church. Remember that? Baghdad? You remember that story? Okay, how many of you laughed? Okay, a handful of you. Same thing, same thing happened with my dad. Same thing. One plane ride his whole life. Uncle Sam sent him to Tripoli when he was serving in the Air Force. And as my dad got older, I wanted to take him on a trip. And I said, Dad, I want to take you on a trip. He's like, well, where do you want to take me? I said, I want to take you to Switzerland. Switzerland, he said. Why? I said, Dad, it's an amazing place. You know, the Alps are there, right? Listen, it's got 7,000 lakes in the country, the largest, the longest tunnel in the world through the mountains, 36-mile tunnel through the mountains in Switzerland. It's got the highest mountain peaks, including the Matterhorn in all of Europe. And I said, and when you go there, Sunday's a big deal. Not because of church. But because everybody takes Sunday off, they want everybody to relax and have a great day, Dad. It'll be awesome. He said, all right. I said, well, what do you know about Switzerland? He said, well, I don't know much about Switzerland, but their flag's a big plus. <laughs> Sorry. 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 All right, listen, I'm embarrassed to say it as you are to hear it, all right? So we've been studying Noah. We've been studying Noah. And, you know, listen, it's a story that's hard to relate to. Um, I mean, you think about it. God shows up and in the middle of a world. Listen, there's a bunch of you in here. There's a bunch of people online. There's a bunch of people in the land. And the Bible says that in Noah's day, every intent of every thought, every intent of every thought was evil all the time. 
Now, my guess is in a room this size, in a room Delian's size, the people online, we all probably at one point or another this week had a thought that, may, that maybe the intent of it wasn't that great, right? Maybe, right? Maybe we live in a world where every once in a while we see what happens when the intent of people's hearts isn't in the right place and it's horrific. Just imagine for a second, that every person in this room, every person online and every person in the land, every thought they ever had, and the intent of every thought was evil all the time. Can you imagine what kind of world that would be? No, you can't imagine it. And you take what we have, the numbers, and just multiply them exponentially, and you get a feeling for the kind of world that Noah lived in. And somehow, in the middle of that world, God chooses this man, and says, I need you to build the boat. Noah had never seen a boat. He didn't know what a boat was. They lived in the desert. And he said, build a boat. And not just any boat. I need you to build one of the biggest boats the world has ever seen. And I need you to house all these animals in it. I need you to put your family in it. And oh, by the way, I need you to preach repentance for 120 years. And I need you to build this thing with your family. Can you imagine? And then finally God says, load it up. And so after all this time, they load this boat up and God shuts the door. And then the Bible says that all of a sudden something happened that Noah had never seen before. It rained. And the water flooded from the earth below and from the skies above. And for 40 days and for 40 nights, this family in a boat full of animals with only their family, no steering wheel, no engine, no chance to propel this thing. They go hurdling into the world. And oh, by the way, everything that's on the earth that's breathing is drowning. Can you imagine? No. Can't even fathom it. I mean, we watch things happen in the world that we live today. I mean, a lot of you were around when the Twin Towers fell. It was horrific watching that on TV and knowing that a couple to 3,000 people were perishing in that. And yet, Noah lived in a world where every single living thing was drowning on the planet. And these people were stuck in this boat no Netflix, right? No DoorDash, right? They had nothing. The only thing they did was spend the next 52 weeks locked up in this boat with their family. <sighs> I mean, can you imagine, right? It's, 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 it's so incomprehensible. And of all the people in Scripture... Right Of all the people in Scripture, after meeting Jesus, Noah is the person I want most to meet. Because I think he is, I think he is the most amazing character in the entire history of the characters. Right? I just think what he's done is, is amazing. And I think our story, our story, according to Scripture, can be related to his story. And I want to show you why. So let's stand and read out of chapter 8. In Genesis, we're just going to read a few verses and then we're going to spend a few minutes walking through this. It says, God remembered Noah and all the wild animals, the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. 
The springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed as well, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. And then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that's with you, the birds, the animals, all the creatures that move along the earth so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So Noah came out together with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark one kind after another. And Noah built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of mankind. Even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. You can be seated. Noah's story is remarkable. And from Genesis chapter 6, right, it sort of builds to this low point where God finally closes the door and sends this boat hurtling, right, into the unknown and every living creature dies. And yet somehow remarkably, after 40 days and 40 nights of this unprecedented flood, Noah and his family are safe. They're safe. And so how does our story, how does your story and my story intersect with Noah's story? Here's the first way. Saved. Saved. So Noah is in the boat, right? You can read in chapter 7. We talked about it last week. The flood came and, and, and wiped everything out, right? It's all gone, right? But Noah, his wife, his three sons, and his three sons' wives all survived. So let me ask you a question. How did Noah's family live? By God putting them in the what? In the ark. Right? It makes sense. Right? If it had not been for the ark, if it had not been for the ark, these people would have died with everybody else. Let me read a passage of scripture to you. First Peter chapter 3. Peter writes this. He's, he's giving us a chance to relate now to Noah's story. First Peter chapter 3. For Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, made alive in the spirit. So while Jesus was being crucified, his spirit, the Bible says, in his spirit, he went and preached to the spirits who were in prison, right? Who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of who? In the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. So while Jesus' body is being crucified, Jesus in his spirit is speaking to these, these spirits, right? Who are bound in prison and Jesus shows up 
And these are the spirits that were disobedient that led the world into complete anarchy and evil and being anti-God. Jesus goes and preaches to these people. And you know what he preached to them? All right? That's what he told them. I win, you lose. Right? He makes it clear to these people. But this happened in the days of Noah. And listen to what Peter says. He says, in that ark, only a few people, eight in all. Now, in the land, online, here in Ormond, everybody read this with me. Eight in all were what? Were saved. Were saved through water. I thought we said they were saved by the boat. Peter says they were saved through water. Now, let me ask you a question. What did the water wipe out? The water wiped out what? Everything. But what the water came to truly wipe out was evil, was sin, right? It was because of the inclination of every thought of every person all the time that God said, I'm done. I'm wiping them out. And the water destroyed the evil. Think about this. If God had told Noah and his family, I need you to preach repentance for 120 years, and I need you to build the boat in the desert, right? And then I'm going to send the flood. Imagine if the flood hadn't have come. This man preaches repentance to evil people for 120 years, builds the boat, and the flood doesn't come. Imagine what people with evil intent in every thought due to Noah and his family if the water doesn't come. What would they have done to him? They would have what? They'd have killed him. Right? This wouldn't have been a made-for-TV movie. Right? They would have wiped those people off the face of the earth. And imagine if Noah and his family refused to build the boat and the flood came, they would have died. So you live in a world where these people need the ark and they need the water because without both of them, it doesn't happen. Peter says, right, Peter, bring that verse back up, Lori. Peter says that they were saved through the water. You see, the ark gave them covering. It was the water that saved them because it would have been the evil that would have ultimately destroyed them. Here's how Peter relates that to you and me where we can hijack the story. Peter says, and that water that wiped away the evil and the sin from Noah and his family, listen to what the Bible says, that water symbolizes what? The Bible says the water that destroyed the evil in Noah's days symbolizes baptism. That now what? Saves you also. You see, here's the thing. Whether you're in line, watching online or whether you're in the land or whether you're in here, the reality is this, that you've got an evil problem. We talked about this all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve sinned. And the Bible says in Romans 5 that all of us have been condemned by that action. Why? Because according to scripture, we now know good and evil. And every person in here and every person online and in the land knows this. We've all had the chance to do right. And there's been days we haven't done it. Amen, church. And we've all had a chance to do what was wrong. And some of us chose to do it. Amen. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. And we all have an evil problem. And here's what Peter says. The water that destroyed the sin that saved Noah and his family is the water of baptism that will do the same for you. Here's what I know. Some of you here, it's time for you to get baptized. It's time for you to stop messing around. Because here's the thing. I remember. I'll never forget. 
I'll never forget the work of the Holy Spirit and this heaviness and this weight and this conviction that God just kept putting on my heart. I knew it. I remember it every single day. I remember those moments that tarried in that process. And for those of you that are watching online or in Deland or here in Ormond, there are some of you that what you need to do is take that step and you need to be baptized. Because Peter says the water symbolizes baptism that saves you, not the removal of the dirt from the body, right? He says, but what it is, is the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 6, right? Paul says in Romans chapter 6, this about baptism. What shall we say then? Shall we go on? On sinning that grace may increase, he says, by no means. We died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Lori, leave that right there. Bring that back up. Let me ask you a question. Those of you that are believers in Jesus Christ, how many of you have never, I emphasize the word never, have never struggled with sin since you've become a believer in Jesus Christ? How many of you? Nobody. Wow, shocking, right? Everybody in here has struggled with sin since they've come, become a believer. Right, church? We've all struggled with it. So how did we die to sin? I thought it was supposed to be dead and we don't deal with it anymore. It's not the case, is it? We still all struggle with temptation and sin, right? The reality is that's part of it. So the death that he's talking about here doesn't mean that it's gone, right? He says, how can we live in that any longer? Paul describes it. Don't you know that all of us who were what? Baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death. You see, that's the thing about baptism. It doesn't unite you into your death. It unites you with the death of Jesus. And there are just too many people that come to church and poo-poo baptism. Listen, there's no reason to poo-poo baptism. The Bible is very clear about what it does. It says that when you get into the ark, when you're protected... When you have the protection of Jesus, when in your heart you believe and with your mouth you confess that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. You have that protection. And the next thing you knew is you get in the water. Because guess what? If Noah had gotten a boat without water, he wouldn't have lived. And if Noah had gotten into the water without the boat, he wouldn't have lived. And the reality is for, our, for all of us, we need this part of the story. Because every person in here, every person online, and every person in the land needs to be saved. And there's only one way to do it, is to accept Jesus, and then it's to get in the water. Every person needs to be baptized. Listen, I didn't grow up in church, so I don't have a church background. I don't have a predilection of what, what I was taught by a priest, or what I was taught by a pastor, or what I was taught by any, anybody. I don't have any of that. I know that some of you do. The reality is, whatever, whatever you were brought up into, the Bible is incredibly clear. Noah was saved through water. He was saved through water. Why? Because water destroyed evil. And Peter says that same water is the water of baptism that destroys the evil that would overtake us and send us to hell. Because here's the thing. If you aren't saved, you're lost. And listen, we, if you're new to Tomoka online, Delandra in here, listen, we ask for a lot. We ask a lot of things and we ask them all the time. But the only thing we truly care about is that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because it's the only thing that truly matters. Listen, when you die, you're not going to be asked who your favorite sports team was. You're not going to be asked what your job was. You're not going to be asked where you lived or who you married. You're only going to be asked one question. Just one. The book is clear. The book is clear. Your name needs to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If it is, you're good to go. Amen. Right? 
That's why, we he- that's why we're here. And here's what I know. That the water saved Noah and his family. And the water saved Noah and his family because they had the ark. And I know that the water of baptism will save you if you know Jesus. And so listen, if today's the day, man, let's make this happen today. Right at the front of the stage, at the end of the service, you can come up to land. The same thing for you. Pastor Ryan will be there at the front of the stage. And if you're online, man, let the team and Pastor John know. Just click that I have decided button. But man, listen, we, we, we see the news, right? Listen, I maybe saw the story of the teacher's aide in Matanzas. Anybody? Right? Six foot six, 270 pound student tackles a teacher's aide in the hallway on video because she took his Nintendo Switch away from him during class and beat the ever lugging dog out of her. And we look at that and we go, man, the world's evil. Yeah, it's evil. It's getting darker all the time. You want to know, you want to know what, know something? We're running out of time. We're running out of time. And so if, if this is you, man, hijack the story. Make Noah's story your story and get in the boat and dive into the water and get baptized. Amen, church. Second thing that happened to Noah was he wasn't just saved. The Bible says he was also, also, the Bible says he was marked. The Bible says he was marked. Now, in Genesis 8, 1, here are the first four verses. But God remembered Noah. At that point in time, everything that's been building down to this low moment of everything dying begins to build back up. It's the turning point of this four-chapter narrative. Now listen, I am. some of you won't relate because you're young and you're beautiful and you're healthy. And we're so glad you're here, okay? But for the rest of us who are getting old, there are some things about getting old that I detest. Anybody? Listen, I was in Dallas this week. And I was in the hotel, and I got up on Thursday morning to get ready to go to the conference, and I'm brushing my teeth, and I noticed that on the right side of my stomach, I have a huge black and blue bruise. I looked in the mirror, touched it, it didn't hurt, and the only thing I had done the night before was sleep. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how you wake up miraculously have a pulled muscle, right? This being old stinks, but here's the worst part of being old for me is forgetting stuff. I hate forgetting stuff. I mean, I used to have a great memory and now I will walk out of a restaurant and forget where I parked. It's so discouraging, right? I mean, apparently I don't know any of my children's names because I call them every name in the book, right? Before I get to their name, it's so humiliating. I remember my mom doing it. I just shook my head like, oh my gosh, never. And now it's me. It's ridiculous, right? Half of the songs we sing, I just make up words, right? I don't know them, right? It's hard to forget. And so when we read that God remembered Noah, it's so easy for us as people to think that God is like us. He threw this family in this boat. He flooded the planet, right? And then 40 days later, in, oh my gosh, I forgot that family. Like, like, where are they? Somebody go check on Noah. Like, we, we want so bad for God to be like us, right? We want so bad for God to hear. He, we want so bad to hear that God's like us and he forgot, but he remembered and, and, and God remembers you. Listen, what does God know? God knows what? Come on, he knows what? He knows everything. And God's where? He's where? 
everywhere. So did God forget Noah? No. God's not like me and you walking out going, where did I put that boat? Where did I put? It didn't happen. Right? It's easy for us to want to think that's the way it is, but that's not what happened. Because if God knows everything and has got everywhere, he didn't forget the boat. So what does the word mean? I looked up the word. I studied the word. And here's what the word means. It means to mark something so as to identify it. It doesn't mean to remember. It means to mark something. It means to mark something so it's identifiable to you. Listen to Hannah's story in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah's married to a man named Elkanah. Elkanah has two wives. The Bible says he had two. One was Hannah. One was Peninnah, right? Peninnah had children. Hannah had none. Why? Because the Lord had closed her womb and her rival, right, the other wife, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went to the house of the Lord, right, the Bible says her rival, the other wife, would provoke her till she wept and would not eat, right? Elkanah, her husband, this is why men are amazing, right? He's got two wives, right? He's got two wives. One of them is giving him offspring. The other one can't because God closes her womb. The one that has babies is picking on the one that doesn't have babies. So by the time they get to church, the one without babies is crying. And Elkanah says, oh, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat, right? Listen to what he says. Why are you so downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? No wonder you guys hate us, right? That's so dumb, right? It's so dumb that he would say that, right? But that's what he says, right? Don't I mean more to you than the ten sons? Listen to what happens. Once they finished eating and drinking in Shiloh where they went to worship, Hannah stood up. Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Bible says, in bitterness of soul, she wept and prayed much to the Lord. I don't know about your story. I know mine. Right? I don't know your story online or in the land, but I know mine. And I don't know about you, but there's been days in bitterness of soul. I have wept and prayed before the Lord. Can anybody relate? I mean, there's been seasons where that has been the case. The Bible says, listen to what Hannah says. She makes a vow to God saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will look upon your servant's misery and what? If you will mark her and identify her as your own, she says, and not forget. This word means to misplace. Right? If you will simply mark me as your own and not misplace me your servant, but give me a son, she says, I will give him back to you. You see, we live in a world today where people, listen, it's, and it's not just our generation, right? It's every generation, right? We live in a world today where people are trying desperately to find meaning and purpose with their lives. I mean, you don't have to be a boomer, an X, a Z, right? A millennial. You have to believe any of those things. Here's what we all are. We're all human beings. We're all people. And we all have a desperate need to find value and purpose. And generations are doing it younger than they've ever done it. And generations are doing it older than they've ever done it. I mean, I'm 59 years old and I know people my age and older, tons of people my age and older, have no idea who they are and what their purpose is. And then I know teens, young teens, that are desperately trying to figure out, do they have any value and purpose? Hannah said to God, listen, in desperate, desperate misery of her soul, she said, if you will simply mark me to identify me as your own and not misplace me, I will give that son back to you. See, here's what 
remembering of God looks like. It doesn't look like forgetting where you parked when you go to a restaurant. It doesn't look like forgetting your child's name. Remembering for God means you are his. He's marked you. So how does that apply to you? How do you hijack the story? I'm really glad you asked. I want you to, I want you to listen to me when we read Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, Paul says this. You and I are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Listen, if you're in the land, if you're online, if you're in Norman, how many of you have put your faith in Jesus Christ? Let me hear you say amen. amen. Bible says that you have have put on Jesus, and we are now all one big happy family. Amen, church? We're a son, we're a daughter of God Almighty. You don't think you have value, and you don't think you have purpose, you don't think you have identity, you think you need a million likes on social media, you think you need this boy to like you, or this girl to like you, or you need this job, or this promotion. Listen, here's what the Bible says, your identity is marked when you clothe yourself with Jesus, because now you're a son, or a daughter of God himself, amen church? That's value and meaning. But listen to what he says. There's not Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female. For you're all one in Jesus Christ. He says if you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's seed. Listen, the reality is this. We put labels on ourselves. We live in a world where we've got generations that are younger than me saying we don't want to be labeled. And yet what do they do? Nothing but label. I'm binary. I'm non-binary. I'm LGBTQ, right? We label ourselves all the time, right? We give ourselves labels. Why? Because we're desperate to be known. We're desperate to be marked. We're desperate to have this moniker. I'm this. I'm that. Listen, if you know Jesus, you've already been marked. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're a part of God's family. And more so than that, listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1. This is where you and I get to completely hijack Noah's story, right? The Bible says God remembered Noah. He marked him for his purpose, identified him as his own. The Bible says in Jesus, we were chosen, having been predestined. First of all, some of you have never been chosen for anything in your life. And the Bible says God chose you. God chose you. You think you don't have meaning and value and purpose? God chose you. And it was his plan to choose you. He says, according to the plan of him who works everything, he says, in conformity with the purpose of his will. Why is God working in conformity to his will? In order that we, who were the first to hope in Jesus, might be for the praise of his glory. And he says this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed. Listen, if you've heard the gospel and you haven't believed, it hasn't done you any good. You can start there. So for some of you today, it all starts with believing what you've heard from the word of truth. Not from the preacher, but from this. He says, having believed, listen to this, everybody, the land, everybody online, everybody here in Norman, read this with me. You were, you were marked. Guess what? Noah's story is now your story. He says, you were marked in Jesus with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And listen to his job. He's a deposit that guarantees your and my inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Listen, you want to know, you want to know how to find value and purpose? Let the king of all kings, let the God of the universe who created heaven and earth and everything in it in six days, let him mark you. You see, some of you, this might be your first Sunday back. 
Some of you online, and this may be your first journey back. Maybe you've wandered away. Maybe you, you got lost. Maybe you quit believing. Maybe you had doubts. Maybe you've done something even dumber than that. Maybe you've done something illegal. Maybe you've broke somebody's heart, betrayed a marriage. Maybe you've been a drunk. Maybe you've been an addict in some way, shape, or form. And you think, it doesn't matter. It doesn't apply to me anymore. Let me be clear to you. That the mark that God makes in you through the deposit of the Holy Spirit is a mark that will last in all eternity. You didn't lose that mark. It hasn't gone away. Listen, and I don't say this because I read it. I say it because I lived it. For seven years, I walked away from the mark. I got in the boat. I dove in the water. I got saved. And God marked me. He deposited me. And after a series of catastrophic events, I got lost. And I wandered away. And I struggled with my belief. And I struggled with all of it. And I sought and I searched for anything that would give me purpose and meaning. And I went through relationships. And I went through money. And I went through stupid choices. But here's what I found out. One day sitting at small country church. The mark that God made in me had never ever left. And it never left you either. So I don't know what you're looking for today. But I know this. That what God has given you. Through that precious deposit of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says is the guarantee of your inheritance. If you've wondered. Man it's time to stop. The only person that's got to forgive is you. You got to let that stuff go. You got to move forward. You got to get back into the journey because the reality is we've been marked by the precious, precious, precious presence of the Holy Spirit, man. I've got a son who I love dearly that I haven't spoke to in a year because he's mad at me. And, and listen, it happens. We're all parents. Listen, they're jerks. I'm a jerk. It happens, right? But here's what I know. That the mark of that boy's life as my son, it hasn't gone anywhere. It's not like he's estranged and I went, you know what? I'm tired of him being my son. I'm just going to, and I'm just going to take that away. No, that mark lasts forever. The same is true for you. Whether you're in Deland or whether you're online or whether you're here in Norman. Listen, if you've been saved, you've been marked. And that mark, that mark didn't go anywhere. It guarantees our inheritance into all of eternity. Amen, church? Then I want you to see the last thing that happened in Noah's life that you and I can hijack. It's he was thankful. There's a lot of amazing things in Noah's story. This might be one of the most amazing things that happens. So Noah, right, crammed into this boat the best that we can determine. Noah was on that boat with his family and those stinky animals for almost a year. Almost a year. Listen. The only thing that God told him was, here's who to take, right? And here's how long the flood's coming. He didn't tell Noah how long they were going to tarry. He said, it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And you're going to take every animal two by two, male and female, put them in the boat. And that's what he did. He didn't tell him, hey, once the rain stops, it's going to take another 150 years for you to, 150 days for you to finally land. And then it's going to take another 150 days for the land to completely dry. He didn't tell Noah any of that. And the first thing the Bible says when Noah got off was he complained. Listen to what Genesis 8 says. Genesis 8, 18 says this. Noah came out of the boat, sons and his wives and his sons' wives, right? Bible says that the animals and the creatures that move on the ground and the birds, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark one kind after another. It says the first thing that Noah did when he got out of the boat was Noah built a what? 
He built an altar and he took some of the clean animals and the clean birds. And the Bible says he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. And the Bible says when God smelled this pleasing aroma, God made that covenant that he wouldn't destroy the earth like that again. I'm amazed. Listen, I don't know about you, but I love driving. And my favorite vacations have always been throwing my family in the car and driving like a crazy person for 12 hours to get to someplace, right? Listen, I loved it. I, as we were, as we were raising kids, we would throw our kids in our minivan and we would lock them down and then we would drive to Orlando. I loved it. But here's what I know. After being in a car with your family for 14 hours, the last thing I wanted to do when I got out was build an altar and thank God for that moment. <laughs> Anybody relate? No, it's not. Listen, that's something you do. Listen, this man, this man got thrown into this boat. Everything on the planet died except for him and his family. You talk about survivor's guilt. This man was the only person that survived with his family. He had no control of the boat. He had no control of when he got out. And the first thing he did, the first intuitive act of a man who's saved and a man who's marked by God is to give him thanks. It's the first thing. I don't know about you, but man, I am tired of being a part of a group of people who are identified by the world as people who complain all the time. I've been in ministry, paid vocational ministry for 36 years. Some of the meanest, some of the most unthankful people I've ever met have walked the halls of churches. And here's the thing, I don't understand it. Listen, I'm not, don't, don't get me wrong. There, I've got a bone in my body, it's called the complainer's bone. Right? The complainer's bones hooked to the throat, which is hooked to the mouth, right? I get it. Right? We all have it. But man, as I've, as I've, as I've gotten older, the one thing I've realized is the most intuitive thing that a person who's saved and a person who's marked does is to give God thanks. That's why Paul says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. So we need to be a people who steal that part of the story and become that. Listen, I know everything doesn't go your way or my way. I understand that everything is done the way you like it to be done. Listen to what Luke 17 says. Luke 17 says this. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, right on the border between Samaria and Galilee. The Bible says he was going to the village. Men had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they cried out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. The Bible says he saw them. He said, go show yourself to the priest. Meaning, you had to go get approval from the priest to say the leprosy was gone. As they went, they were cleansed. They acted in faith. The power of Jesus healed them. One. Everybody say one. One of those ten, when he saw he was healed, came back and he praised God in a loud voice. Right? He threw himself at the feet of Jesus and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not ten of you clean, cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one else found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? Jesus said to that man, rise and go. Your faith has saved you. Listen, if God saves you and marks you, you should give him thanks. Amen, church? We should be a grateful Grateful people. Listen, I'm going to close it with this. These are headlines from news the last couple days. This happened yesterday. A Washington teacher in the state of Washington says schools must do more to keep students' info secret from their Christian parents. Florida teacher on leave after accusation that he had white students bound down to black students in his classroom. 
Two days ago, Mama Bears, a group on free speech, went over a Georgia school district after exposing highly sexualized pornographic books in the school library. Two days ago, school district was forced to pay, the school district was forced to pay $100,000 in legal fees after banning moms from exposing pornographic materials given to students in class. St. Paul Public Schools of Minnesota have a policy to determine if a name or a gender pronoun is patently offensive. Arizona teachers are argue, are argue allowing parents to choose curriculum and books for their own children is a huge mistake. English teachers' sexuality curriculum showing kids private parts and special videos about self-pleasure have school board approval. A middle school teacher claims it's white supremacy to oppose thievery. Burn this thing to the ground, she says. A Christian teacher loses her job on February the 15th after refusing to deceive parents on kids' gender transitions. The Bible, or the Bible, on February 14th, fingerprints of unvaccinated New York City teachers were given to the FBI with a note. These people are problems. New Jersey board approved, right, a self-pleasure video. A New Jersey school board approved a self-pleasure video book or book after the teacher was disturbed that it was not included in her curriculum. A pre-K teacher attacks the idea on February the 12th of childhood innocence. The teacher claims toddlers are never too young for sexuality discussion. On February the 10th, a non-binary teacher has good laughs about hiding kids' gender changes from parents and complain and, and claims the school board, school board supports her. A Georgia principal and the gym teacher are fired after allegedly having sex at the elementary school while his wife filmed it. Idaho schools on February the 8th instructed to keep parents in the dark about their students' transition and their names. It's a mess, isn't it? It's a mess. There's a move in bullfighting called the Veronica move. And the Veronica move in bullfighting is when the matador takes the red cape, right, and moves it to trick the bull where to go. Well, that's exactly what's happening in our world today. Satan is pulling the matador move on us, and he's convinced us our fight is against these school boards and against this. Listen, our fight isn't against flesh and blood. Our fight is against Satan, the same force that corrupted the world that caused God to drown them all. He's at work in our world today, and he's after our kids and our grandkids. And you know what they need? They need Jesus. They need Jesus. Because until they're saved, until they're marked... It does not matter what happens here. It only matters in eternity. Listen, if you're not saved today, man, don't wait. Let's get that done. And if you've wandered away, listen, God didn't give up on you. It's time for you to get back in the fight. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church. I love it. I love these people. I'm grateful for their grace and their patience. I pray your blessing upon each and every one of them. Lord, make us a church that fights the right enemy. Help us to never forget the, the disgusting desire of, this, of Satan to destroy people and to send them away from you forever. God, equip us for that fight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.